Welcome to Destiny Spirit. Please join us for this message with Donna Astern. Traditionally, lots of people make resolutions about this year's going to be different, you know. <laughs> this year's going to be different. I'm going to lose that weight. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to, you know, whatever. Something's going to be different this year. And I passed a church um, sign this past week, and it said, if only uh, we held grudges as long as we did New Year's resolutions. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. But, you know, I, I think that the beginning of the year is a really good time. You've got that lull after Christmas and, and then New Year's, and, and lots of times you're thinking about wrapping up because of, you know, you wrap up for the tax season, you wrap up for the holidays, you wrap up for lots of things. And so there are lots of people who have made, you know, resolutions about the new year. But I do think it's a good time to kind of take stock about where you're at and what you want to do. But the thing that is on my heart that I want to share with you tonight is not so much a goal like lose 10 pounds or, you know, start bouncing my checkbook, but something um, a little more broad, a little broader than that. And if we would, I want you to show you something in Scripture. If you would turn to Philippians 3, Philippians chapter 3. I want to talk to you tonight about pursuing the high calling. And I feel like that 2008 was a tough year for many people. It was a, it was a year of great challenge for a lot of people. And I feel that there were many people who have been pressured by life, by finances, by relationships, by all kinds of things that have pulled them off from pursuing the high calling of God. And, you know, it's real easy for other things to crowd out what's really the most important. You know, the Word of God tells us, you know, not to labor for that which is going to disappear. But how many of us, I mean, we have been laboring for stuff that's going to disappear. And, yeah, we need to work hard, but on the other hand, it's like, Let's not neglect the high calling. It's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? You know, Jesus told us in Matthew 16 that if any man would come after him, that we are to not deny ourselves and take up our cross. You don't hear a lot of preaching about taking up your cross, do you? Taking up your cross. When did Jesus take up his cross? On the way to being crucified, right? You take up your cross in full expectation of being crucified. You take up your cross, it's an instrument of death, this means there's an old way of living is going to end, and a new way is going to come. And Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to be done with the old, and you're going to do the new, right? And the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that's a reminder to us. This is a done deal. We have been crucified, but we still take up our cross with that attitude of while it's being worked out in a daily basis, the old life is passing away, and we're embracing the new life as disciples of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. He says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on. I'm pushing. You know, there's effort. There's intention. This is not a lackadaisical stroll in the park, is it? This is I'm intentional about where I'm going. You know, if we're going to be intentional 
about pressing in, be intentional about letting God have his way with our lives, being intentional about being conformed to the image of Christ. You know, the reason the church in the United States is in the state it's in is because not very many people are intentional. We have a lot of folks that show up on Sunday morning, but we don't have as many people who are dedicated to letting Christ Jesus live on the inside of them. Right? We've got a lot of people who are, you can't tell the difference between them and the rest of the world. You can't tell the difference except where they go on Sunday morning, you know. And God is after a group of people that our old way of living has stopped and the life of God has begun to come out of us. So that when you and I are walking out in the world, people will see Jesus primarily over everything else. You see, if we're trying to make a name for ourselves, a reputation for ourselves, then guess what? We're trying to get people to look to us, aren't we? You know? And instead, it's like, I must decrease and he must increase. I want it to be that when we have an encounter, that you walk away and you feel that there was something godly that happened. You know? There was something of Jesus that you saw, either in an attitude or an encouragement or a word, or just you watch some character at work. Praise God, hallelujah. <laughs> you know? Boy, you are patient. You know, I told someone the other day, I said, I am observing such patience in you. You know, when's the last time you told somebody you see something of Jesus in them? You know, the love of God is patient, right? All right. He says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a call. It's an upward call to come up higher, to not just live in the mundane, not to live in the ordinary, but come up. It's a call to come up. That means there's a response that we can make, right? You know, God is calling us to live a higher life. You know, there's plenty of folks that aren't living a high life. They're living a very ordinary life. I want to live in a place where God's glory is, right? I want to live in a place where there is such peace going on my life. It doesn't matter what happened in the stock market. Doesn't matter what happened to your 401k, right? Doesn't matter who got elected and who didn't get elected. Doesn't matter. Our trust is in the Lord. And it's that call, it's that upward call. God has called us up higher. Do you know what? That God has created mankind with a heart to conquer. You know, why do people climb Mount Everest? Because it's there, right? (laughs) Why? I mean... I don't, I kind of get it, but I'm not an outdoorsy girl, so I don't, it's not something I'm interested in pursuing, you know, but there are other mountains, there are other challenges that, yeah, I'm pumped for. I want to pursue, I want to take those things. Well, guess what? There is an upward call for you and to, for you and me to live like the Lord, but not only just to emulate him, but that his life is flowing out of us. Not only his character and his goodness, but his power as well. I know lots of folks that are interested in being nice or good. But I want to know, I want to know about the character of God plus the anointing, plus the power that when we pray, we get results. Because we know how to pray in faith, right? That when challenges happen at job, at the job or at the school or whatever, that you can rise up and you can be a pillar of strength to everybody around you, right? You know, you don't know what might happen tomorrow. You know, you don't know. We live in, there are some places in society, I mean, it's kind of dangerous. You don't know what's going to happen. 
But when everybody else is falling apart and freaking out, it's time for Jesus to shine through you and through me, right? And to be a source of blessing and encouragement and a real help to people, all right? So the call is to come up here and let that stuff happen. It's a call to come up higher. It's pressing in to come up higher. I don't think you are satisfied with where you are in God. You wouldn't be here. <laughs> you wouldn't be out on Tuesday night. Come on. <coughs> right? You're like, I'll stay home and watch TV or something, you know. But if you were satisfied with where you were, you wouldn't be here. So I'm talking to folks who are hungry for something more than what they've experienced heretofore. And what Jim was talking about earlier with the announcements, it doesn't matter if you are new to the things of God, if you are very experienced and you have a, uh, you've had some powerful encounters, some powerful experiences with God, you know what? It's not enough, is it? That was yesterday. That was last week. It's time for something fresh and for something new. I don't want the only testimony that we have to be the thing that happened in 1984. 1993. I know some of y'all weren't born yet. Okay. <laughs> how, about, how about 2002? How about that? Yeah, All right, that's better. You know? Well, yeah, way back in 2002. No, how about a testimony from 2008, from 2009? How about that? Okay. A living testimony, a walk with the Lord, that we are in partnership with Him, and we are seeing, we are seeing that upward call being fulfilled. Verse 15. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will straighten you out. Excuse me. No, God will reveal that also to you. <laughs> you know, the Bible tells you what kind of attitude to have, what kind of mindset to have. You know what? People don't like to be told that stuff. How many of y'all ever been told your attitude stinks? Everybody raise your hand. <laughs> All right. Did you appreciate that? Not so much. <laughs> not so much. But the Bible saying here, if your attitude is not right, it needs to be adjusted so that we have the same attitude as Christ Jesus has, right? Christ Jesus is not a defeatist. He is not all upset over what's going on in the U.S. You know what I believe he's doing? I believe he's excited because he's getting closer to coming back. Amen. Birth pangs, folks. Birth pangs. You think God knows what's going on? Absolutely. This is a time to rise up and be a man or a woman of faith and decide to trust God and to know God and to know that he's got your back. That doesn't mean that you might not go through some hard stuff. Right? Amen. We're not guaranteed not going through hard stuff. There are people in parts of the world that are being tortured for their faith. There are people who suffer, you know, you and I get a little upset if somebody talks bad about us. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we have to get over it. And we have to rise up and become champions and become overcomers. Okay, verse 16. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Not only is he telling us what kind of attitude, now he's telling us how to live. Now he's telling us to not choose our own way, but to imitate other people. Right? Imitate other people. That also says that those who are mature 
in the faith need to understand that people are looking at you whether you know it or, or not or whether you like it or not. You don't have to be a leader for people to be following you, right? There are people who are observing you and they're catching your attitude and they're catching your behavior and they're learning from you. Is that what it's like to be a Christian? You know, right? So, he's telling us how to have an attitude and now he's telling us He's telling us, follow my example. Here, live like me. I wonder how many of us would be confident enough to say to every person who is new in the Lord or is not yet a Christian and is interested in this thing, saying, yes, you can live like me. Live like me. You want to come live with me for a week? I'll show you how. Does that make anybody nervous? <laughs> Why would that make you nervous? If you are crucified with Christ, and as he have, he's exuded his attitude, his behavior, everything out of you, right? Then it should be, let me show you what Jesus is like. Come live with me for a week. I know, that's bold, isn't it? That's bold. Like, okay, Donna, I'm going to come to your house. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's like this. I have no problems in admitting to you that I am not perfect. But you know what? I'm pressing on towards the goal. I'm pressing on. All right? You got to aim for perfection if you ever intend to hit it. You got to aim. Right? I'm shooting for it. Now, what does that mean when you and I are shooting and aiming for something? We're pressing forward. This is our goal. That's what we're pursuing, right? We'll get there at some point by the grace and power of God. We'll get there. Well, let's think about this. Paul is using this, um, the analogy of an athlete, talking about pressing on towards the goal. In another place, he talks about how that, you know, only one you know, wins the prize, the one that competes lawfully. And he talks about using an, an athlete as comparison. So let's think about this. When an athlete is in a race and he is pursuing the prize, he's running on purpose because there's a gold medal at the end or whatever's at the end, right? He's pursuing it. So what does he do to make sure that he is going to be qualified to receive a gold medal? I bet he don't sleep in until 10 o'clock in the morning, does he? What's an athlete do? He trains. He trains in order to get there, right? <coughs> Guess what else? You know what? Those, those marathon runners, any of you, you ever run a marathon? You know, I don't like to run. I really don't. I just didn't like it. But I like to walk. I like to swim, like other things, but not a big fan of running. But, you know, I've seen people, and they just love that. Go a 26-mile run. That sounds a little crazy to me. But, you know, how do they do that? They don't wake up one morning after six months of no exercise and nothing but je jelly donuts. I mean, they don't wake up and say, I think I'll run the 26-mile marathon today. What do you think is going to happen? They might get to the end of the block, maybe, before they pass out. It's not going to happen. So in order to win the prize, an athlete goes into training. They go into training many times many times for a lengthy period of time. And what do they do? They get to bed on time. 
They make sure they get enough rest. Everybody else goes out and parties. They can't party, right? Even, you know, in, in football teams and stuff, what? They would say, you guys have a curfew. You have to be in bed at this time every night. You know, no going out and drinking with the rest of the guys and staying up till 2 in the morning because it'll affect your game, right? So they go into training. Guess what? They don't get to eat everything that everybody else eats. They don't eat jelly donuts five, to, five times a week. An athlete who's into training has a specific diet, right? They're going to maybe, maybe have a lot of protein or something with a lot of nutrients because they know they're making those demands upon their physical body, and so they've got to feed their body something so they can build some muscle, build some strength, and build some endurance, right? So they've got to rest. They've got to take care of themselves. Well, guess what else? They have to show up on time for practice. They've got to show up on time. You know, you can always tell who the champions are. They're the ones that go out in the bad weather and run. I remember one time going for a walk in the November cold wind caught me in the face. I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> Went back inside. I'll wait until that icy wind wasn't catching me in the face, you know. I don't intend to be a, a, an Olympian athlete. But, you know, but the guys who are the champions, what do they do? They're out there, rain, shine, dark, it doesn't matter, right? They're out there in the elements and they don't give themselves any slack because why? Because there's a prize that they are, they are pushing for, that they want to receive. You know, another thing that they have to do, um, an athlete who is going to win keeps at it when everybody else quits. Keeps at it when everybody else quits. I've watched people quit. I've watched them give up on pursuing the things of God because it got too hard. I've watched people get out of ministry, watch people bail on the Christianity, watch people just give up because it was too hard, it was too inconvenient. Once I was talking to a, a man and I said, and he and I were talking about the passion that we had for the things of God and, you know, we just observed that a lot of people don't seem to have that passion. They just don't seem to care. You know, and I was asking him, I said, what do you think it is? I mean, what makes me any different than anybody else? I mean, what's going on? He says, I don't really know. He says, I think I just cared more. Now, I'm not sure why some care more than others, except that I remember that Jesus said that he who was forgiven much loves much. And I do believe that when we have an understanding of what we have been forgiven, it does do a deep work of gratitude on the inside of us. And that can change your life. I know that Jesus died for me as a sinner. I was a sinner. And I know that it was my sin that caused him pain. But thank God. Hallelujah. And also, I look at the example of Jesus of pressing on when everybody else quit. Not just at the cross, but look at his ministry. He didn't get to sleep all night. He still went out and ministered. He prayed all night, went and ministered. The crowds came. He still got up and ministered. The people lied about him. His closest ones betrayed him, turned their back on him. Did he quit? No. He just went on and did what he was supposed to do, no matter what anybody else did around him. And I've seen a lot of people that they bail, they give up, 
when the people closest to them also bail. It's like, folks, you got to be a champion. We used to sing a song when I was a kid, though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Because there's a prize that we've got to pursue. I've determined that, we need that I'm going to be a champion. You know, by the grace of God, going to aim for perfection, going to push there. An athlete also has to learn how to lose. You know, there's a lot of, lot of people who are completely thrown the first time they have a failure, the first time they have a setback, you know. But if you're going to be a champion, guess what? You're going to go against some forces. If you're going to be an athlete, a, a runner, you're going to go against somebody who's better than you, right? And you're going to lose sometime, right? There are some spiritual forces that are opposing you and are opposing me. And we might have knocked out some of these uh, less powerful ones, but guess what? <laughs> new levels, new devils. <laughs> I've got the stuffing kicked out of me a couple times. But the Bible says a righteous man falls and gets back up again. It's a matter of get back up again. Get back up again. I got knocked down a few times, but you get back up again. You see, we've got to learn what happens when you fail. What happens when you lose? This is when you learn to take the word of God, get your healing, learn your lesson, forgive people, and go on with your life and not let it stop you. And so much of the time what happens is a spirit of condemnation and guilt comes in and says, what do you think you're doing anyway? You don't have any business. I don't know who you think you are. And tries to get you to back off of pursuing that high prize. And I've seen people so disheartened. Folks, we have got to learn to take a lick and keep on ticking. We've got to learn to just pick up and keep going. You know, I've taught the people, and they said, oh, I failed, I failed, I've screwed up, I've made such a mess. I was like, okay, what'd you learn? Did you learn not to do that again? I talked to, I talked to someone a couple of weeks ago. You don't understand. I committed this horrible sin. I did this awful, awful thing. I just feel so bad. God's never going to forgive me. And I says, well, you know, what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says, and I preached at it. I preached hard at it because she wasn't getting it. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? I said, do you believe that's true? Yes. Then what happened? Did you, did you repent? Well, I don't know. I said, look, look, what you did was wrong, right? It was wrong. It was sin. I says, are you ever going to do that again? No. I said, then you have repented. <laughs> and God has forgiven you. All right, now you've got to forgive yourself, learn from it, and go on. You know? Folks, good thing is tomorrow's another day. Thank God. Thank God. Tomorrow's another day. You know? When you make mistakes, and you will, when you screw up, and you will, Pick yourself up, learn from it, and go on. And don't get into bitterness and blame and condemnation and gossip and bad-mouthing. Learn from it and go on. If you, get, if you get the stuff and beat out of you a couple times, it tends to make you more compassionate. I must have been really tough. Because <laughs> I've just gotten beat up a few times in life. You know, 
But you know what has worked within me? One of the things that's worked within me is to, is to persevere. I thought there was a few things that happened in my life I thought was the absolute worst, you know, day, this horrible, horrible, you know what? I live to tell about it. That's always a good sign. Live to tell about it is good, right? You know, when you, when you can, get some perspective. Okay, what could I have done differently? Anything? Maybe not. Did I learn something? Did I become wiser? Or am I just bitter? You know, there's a lot of people in bitterness these days. A lot of people in bitterness. But a good athlete, a champion, is somebody who gets knocked down and then next time learns to duck or something, learns to do something differently, you know? <laughs> you know, protect yourself, do something, you know? And learns to improve your skill. For some of us, you know what, you've been having it, I'm gonna tell you what, some people, what they have to do is they have to learn to quit being such wimps and learn to stand up and fight. There are some people that they want to just, oh God, oh God, oh God, and God's like, don't you stand up and decree some things in Jesus' name? Why don't you stand up and release some faith? Why don't you stand up and say, it's not going to be like that, and begin to use the spiritual weapons that you've been given. There's been a few times I felt like I was running behind people going, remember your sword, remember your sword? <laughs> <laughs> you had that thing, remember? You're supposed to use it on spiritual forces. That means to decree the word of God. Get your shield up. Where's your shield? Why do you need your shield of faith? Because the blows are coming, right? The blows are coming, so you've got to have your shield of faith up there so that they don't knock you out. Life is hard, but God is good, right? So it's a matter of let's get, let's, you know, be prepared, right? Quit feeling sorry for ourselves, right? Okay. A winner also learns how to win. After a while, you start getting good, right? After a while, you start winning. I mean, if you are, if you are practicing, if you are in discipline, you've got good habits, exercise, eating right, training, you're doing all that stuff, at some point, you're going to start to win some races, right? You're going to start to get some victories. You're going to start to see some things turn around yeah. in some people's lives. Some circumstances start to change, see some improvement, right? You're going to wind up that you, when you get knocked down, you get up faster. You know, there's been some times, I mean, I was knocked out for, you know, two weeks. Had something else happen similar, knocked me out for about two hours. That's good, right? That's improvement. So we learn how to win. And because we, as we be began to learn how to win, we develop a track record of victories. And guess what? Many times we have to do just like David did. And David encouraged himself in the Lord. I was talking to someone this past week. I said, there are some times there is nobody that asks how you are. There is nobody that encourages you. Nobody. So what are you going to do? You're going to encourage yourself in the Lord, Right? And not wait for somebody, well, I wish somebody would call. Why don't you just encourage yourself and reach out to somebody else? Let's sow the things that we want to get back. Amen? I'm preaching really good, y'all. <laughs> I'm preaching myself in, in a positive place. Okay. All right, so we're going to keep doing the things that make a winner. Now, let me ask you this. Once somebody has won a couple of races, they don't sit back and go, oh, okay, that was nice. What do they do? They want a, another race. 
and another one and another one. When you have gained some skill, you've gained some victory, you've got some successes, then you don't, you're not done. You need some bigger lions. You need some bigger challenges. And you can stand with somebody else and to see them get what they need. Amen? You know, we, don't, we never get tired. I tell you what I was, I was telling someone. I said, and it is so much fun to cast out demons. It's just so much fun. You know, you watch people really, they feel so much better when it's over. They just, they're crying. They're so happy. They're like, oh, I feel so good. I feel so good. That is so much fun to me. I don't want to say I, I'm done with that. I want to say, okay, done that. No, I want to continue to do that. I want to continue to see some freedom come to some people. Amen. 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 All right. Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Where there is no vision, people are unrestrained. Or another reading is, they cast off restraints. What makes that guy get up at 5 o'clock in the morning on a cold winter day and start running? Leaving that nice warm bed <laughs> and getting out and going to run. Why does he do that? Because it's the vision that's in front of him, right? Because he sees himself crossing the finish line and getting the prize. So that's why he does it. That's why he does it. He is able to restrain himself. When you've got a vision of something you want to accomplish, you want to see happen in your life, you will restrain yourself so that you can have the thing that you want. Right? You want to lose 10 pounds, so what do you do? You lay off the brownies for a couple of months. Right? <laughs> or whatever. But the whole thing is you'll restrain yourself in order to have the thing that you really want. But you see, a lot of times when people have no restraint, they just come and go and do whatever they want. They, they do whatever they, their impulses tell them to do. They behave in manners that show no self-discipline. You know, they, they sleep to whenever, they spend well at whatever, they eat whatever, they drink whatever, whatever. It all just doesn't make any difference. It shows you somebody with no vision. Somebody who has no purpose and no aim, they're just kind of going with whatever. You know? I heard a story one time about, um, they were talking about a little girl who had gone to the doctor, and the doctor had said that because of something that was with her bones, that she was going to need to wear some metal restraints upon her legs for a solid year. Those things were going to have to be tightened you know, often. It was not going to be real pleasant. But after she got through with one year of wearing that, her legs would be perfectly fine and she wouldn't need them anymore. And you think about that, there are two ways to look at that restraint. It's going to be unpleasant. It's going to hurt. It's going to look bad. I don't think it's a whole year. You know, there's, you could look at it like that. You know what her parents did? They said, hey, baby, you want to go to Disneyland? You want to go to Disney World? Yes, I do. All you got to do is wear these things for a year, and we'll take you to Disney World. She says, where are they? <laughs> she was willing to embrace the restraints for the vision of the future, right? 
there are some temporary things that you and I restrain ourselves because we see a vision of something to come. You know, we talked about the seminar that we're doing here, the ministry and spiritual gifts. Yeah, you give up five nights and a Saturday. You do. You, you give up some things. And there is a little bit of, of training that goes on there. There's some activation. It can make you feel a little bit stretched, a little bit uncomfortable, push you theologically, push you in your experience a little bit. But what's the end result? The end result is you got drop kicked into a whole new level of effective ministry. <laughs> That's right. And as I've said often, I don't put you through anything that hadn't been done to me. You know? I've been through plenty of training. I paid, paid good money to have them do that to me. I've paid thousands and thousands of dollars, thousands and thousands of dollars to be put through the paces so that I would have a higher level of understanding, breakthrough, skill, impartation, and anointing. You do pay for it. You do pay for it. You pay for it. The only thing free is salvation. And that costs Jesus everything. Right? Discipleship costs you everything. All right. People are unrestrained when there's no vision, but if we have a vision, we'll embrace restraint. You know, Paul talked about that in the book of Philippians. He said that I am poured out as a drink offering. That means, he says, God has liberally poured out my life for your benefit. Not for his own advantage and benefit. He says, I'm being poured out. I am being expended. That is the picture of someone whose life is not their own. Right? That's the, that is the picture of someone who lives a crucified life. Most people don't. Most people decide what they want to do, how much they're willing to pay. But Paul has had a vision. He says, I want to pursue a high calling. That doesn't mean that everybody has to be a preacher. It doesn't mean that at all, because Paul was also a tent maker, right? A businessman, right? But what did he do? He didn't live his life for his own comfort, for his own convenience. How many of you are thankful for what Paul did, right? I mean, thank God. We wouldn't have two-thirds of the New Testament, right? If Paul had not surrendered to that high calling and decided to pursue it. I'm here to tell you, Paul is a phenomenal brother in the Lord. We are so thankful for him and for what God did with him. But do you know what? That God wants to use each one of us in somebody else's life. There is somebody that we can be poured out to be a blessing. There is somebody else that if we will submit to the restraints of the Lord, he'll make us a, a vessel of honor to help somebody else and to establish his kingdom. I believe we've yet to see what God could do with ordinary men and women. There are so many people there who said, ah, it's for the preachers. No, it's not. The Bible says that preachers are to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And the, it's the saints, it's the people of God that are meant to be the carriers of the anointing, meant to be the miracle workers, meant, meant to be the ones who are discipling and instructing and counseling and all those kinds of things. Amen. So how did Paul get there? He embraced the restraints of the Lord. He took up his cross. He allowed the Lord to pour him out. 
I don't know how many of you have um, thought much about the high calling. But I believe that there is so much more that we can experience in the Lord than what we have. I'm not just talking about things like having encounters of visions and revelations and miracles. I'm not talking about just those things. But I mean encounters with the living God that transform you to where you're not the same person any longer, to where you are crucified and Christ is being seen through you. There are so many of the things that God uses life to break things off of us, to form value in us, to change us, right? He does. Life is a tremendous teacher. And if you get it, you're more conformed to Jesus. If you don't get it, it's, it's, it's hard. It's suffering. It's painful. I mean that when we are sub submitted to the Lord, there is going to be the joy of the Lord in spite of whatever unpleasantness that may be going on around about us. One of the reasons I think that, that most, most Christians, when they are uncomfortable and unhappy, is because they haven't learned to submit to the Lord yet. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Even when you are in pain, there is an inner place of joy that needs to be released. I'm not talking about being phony. I'm talking about being real. The Bible says that Jesus endured the cross for what? For the joy that was set before him. Nobody in their right mind wants to be crucified. But he endured it for joy because he was being poured out as a sacrifice for other people. I'd like you to close your notebooks or Bibles and I'd like you to sit quietly for a moment with your eyes shut. I want to talk to you for just a moment and allow the Lord to speak to your heart about the high calling. And as we're, as we're sitting here, I ask Holy Spirit that you would speak to everyone's heart. And that, Lord, each one of us would rise up and we'd embrace the restraints and we'd pursue that high price. If God has called you to be really like Jesus with all your spirit, he will draw you into a life of crucifixion and humility. He will put such demands of obedience that he will allow, not allow you to follow other Christians. And in many ways, he will let other people do things he will not let you do. Other Christians, other ministers who seem to be very religious and useful, they may push themselves, pull wires, and work schemes to carry out their plans, but you cannot do it. If you even try, you will meet with such failure and rebuke from the Lord as to make you sorely penitent. Others can brag about themselves, their work, their success, their writings. The Holy Spirit will not allow you to do such things. If you begin it, he will lead you into such a deep mortification that you will despise yourself and all your good works. Others will be allowed to succeed in making great sums of money or having a leg legacy left to them, or in having luxuries. But God 
may supply you daily because he wants you to have something far better than gold, which is a helpless dependence upon him. That he may have the privilege of providing your needs day by day out of the unseen treasury. The Lord may let others be honored and put forward, but keep you hidden in obscurity because he wants to produce some choice, fragrant fruit within you for his coming glory, that which can only be produced in the shade. God will let others be great, but he'll keep you small. He'll let others do a work for him and get credit for it, but he'll make you work and toil on without knowing how much you're doing. Then to make your work more precious, he'll let others get the credit for what you've done. And this will make your reward ten times greater when Jesus comes. The Holy Spirit will put a strict watch on you with a jealous love. and He'll rebuke you for little words or feelings or for wasting your time, which other Christians never seem distressed over. So make up your mind that God is an infinite sovereign and has a right to do as he pleases with his own. He will not explain to you a thousand things which may puzzle your reason in his dealings with you. God will take you at your word. And if you absolutely will yourself to be his slave, he will wrap you up in a jealous love and let other people say and do many things that you cannot say or do. Settle it forever that you're to deal directly with the Holy Spirit and that he is to have the privilege of tying your tongue or chaining your hand or closing your eyes in ways that others are not dealt with. Now, when you're so possessed with loving God that you are in your secret heart pleased and delighted with his, to be his peculiar, personal, private, jealous guardianship and the manager of the Holy Spirit over your life, you will have found the vestibule of heaven. Father God, there are so many times we have not understood your dealings and that we've wanted to cry out for credit, for glory. We've looked at ourselves compared to other people and wondered why them and not us, or why us and not them. The Holy Spirit, I pray that we would be able to lay down those types of concerns and attitudes, and that tonight, Lord God, that we would dedicate our hearts to pursue that high calling, that, Lord God, you put whatever restraints need to be put upon us for your calling, for what you are doing in our lives. And if we are having to suffer in our souls because we're not allowed to do certain things, or because you are dealing with us about what seems to be such minor points, I ask, Lord God, you encourage us and give us the grace to say yes to you, to everything that you're doing, for you are good. Father, I also ask for everyone that, Lord, that we would not allow ourselves to be sidetracked by condemnation or regrets or blame or self-pity. We're not pointing the finger at what somebody else is doing or not doing. But, Lord, that we would just come to you say, Holy Spirit, you just deal with me. I thank you, Lord God, that you are perfecting everything that concerns us.
you have begun a glorious, powerful thing on the inside of us. And you are developing and raising up a powerful church, the body of Christ. Hallelujah. We bless you tonight, Lord God. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Destiny Spirit, additional teachings, and training events, please visit our website at www.destinyspirit.com. Or you can write to us at Destiny Spirit Apostolic Network, P.O. Box 15252, Chesapeake, Virginia, 23328. Thank you and God bless you.